Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. The calling of parenthood is to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. Yet as all Christian parents know, this calling is easily lost in the chaos of life. We are juggling the various responsibilities of our households and shifting challenges of raising our kids. In the midst of all this, how are we to teach our children to love God? My guest on today's show is Sarah Cowan Johnson, the author of Teach Your Children Well, and she helps us to accept the calling of parenthood with wisdom and faith. Sarah Cowan Johnson is a ministry trainer, consultant, and coach who works with church planters, pastors, and ministry leaders across the United States. She leads seminars for parents on family discipleship to help their children walk in the way of Jesus. She served with the Evangelical Covenant Church as the executive pastor for Sanctuary Church in Providence, Rhode Island, and previously was a staff trainer and an area director for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. She is the co-host of the People of the Way podcast. She and her husband have two sons and live in Providence. Before we get into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to our email list so that you can get all future episodes and other content sent directly into your inbox as soon as it comes out. If you're not subscribed to Filter, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you can also get all future episodes right on the homepage of whatever podcast platform you choose to use. If this episode or any of our other episodes have been helpful to you, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review and shared this show with your friends. Leave Filter a five-star rating on Spotify and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you take these small, simple steps, it only takes a minute of your time, but it greatly helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this great conversation that I got to have with Sarah Cowan Johnson. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, glad to have you on. We were just talking about... Uh, introducing ourselves, talking about where we're from, and you are in uh, Rhode Island. Yes, right? small so, state. Yeah, small estate, but big hearts. Oh, absolutely. That's what I hear. <laughs> big attitude. <laughs> <laughs> big attitude. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. Gr- glad to have you on. We're here today to talk about uh, a new book you have that came out called "Teach Your Children Well," which is about family discipleship and training our kids, and so. Um, I'm I'm a parent. Uh, you mentioned before awesome. that you have two children, right? Yeah. Uh, two boys, ages? twelve and eight. Yeah. Two boys. All so, right. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a parent. I've got two kids. I have a five-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy. So whenever awesome. I saw this book, I was immediately uh, interested and in wanting to talk about it. Yeah. And so you know, just starting out, is there any stage in parenting where you're not tired? <laughs> because oh gosh, I'm exhausted all the time. I know. Well, funny thing. So my sister just had a baby. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I've been out of the baby years for quite a while, but we, um, babysat him for two nights and oh my goodness, that is a, (laughs) that's a different, that's a different level of tired. So I was thinking like, how do you, you know, when your kids are 12 and eight, um, how do you 
you know, if you ever want to feel like, oh man, I get so much sleep and my life is so relaxed after you do that, you borrow a two month old for a couple nights um, and then give them back. So um, yes, eventually your kids will sleep in longer than you. And um, it's tiring in a different way though. You know, I'm sure you've yeah. heard that. It's a little more emotionally tiring at times, but physically you will yeah. sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have two boys. I have a five year old yeah. girl. So yeah. I already know about emotional uh, oh, exhaustion right. Right. <laughs> uh, because she's also, um, you know, peak stereotype girly girl. Uh, she's got big emotions. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so, but she is my princess. Absolutely love her. So, uh, yeah. So the book is called Teach Your Children Well. Uh, Why did you write the book? Yeah, well, I um, so I was on staff as the executive pastor of a church plant, my church. And at the time that I was on staff, we didn't have a, a kids person. I was trying to hire someone and uh, wasn't, you know, filling that role. And so I took a season where I decided to lean into developing a volunteer team as sort of an interim, um, you know, patch year before we could hire somebody. And so as I'm working with our kids team, and my kids were probably about the age of your kids at the time, um, I'm reading all these statistics. So it's kind of a deep dive into children's ministry. So I was reading all these statistics about, well, yeah, the, the big one that you probably are aware of, that 50% of high school students actively involved in their churches walk away from their faith after graduation. So that, reading that, read Sticky Faith, uh, which is a great book. Um, and just felt really upset by that. Like as a mom and as a pastor, I, I'm not uh, happy with that idea that it's like a coin toss, whether or not our children would follow Jesus. And I felt like that we have to do better than that. We have mm -hmm. to do better than this 50% statistic. And so um, the more research that I did and the more reading that I did, I came across actually some really good news, which is that you can actually see different results. There's actually... Um, data and research that shows that um, there's something that actually makes a pretty huge difference in that statistic. Um, and it, it's almost, it's like nothing the church can do. It's not about church programming or better staff. It's about parents. And so parents who talk about and practice their faith in the home, 82% um, of kids who grow up with parents who do that go on to follow Jesus as adults. And so when I looked at that statistic, I thought, wow, okay, our church in this time where I'm working with this kid's team, yes, we want to do excellent Sunday morning programming, but wow, we really should focus on empowering and equipping parents. So I began to do some training with parents at our church, a seminar that, you know, then I went on and did that at other churches. And then eventually just felt like the Lord was saying this, uh, this is a book. So mm. Yeah. So if I want to raise Christian children, I can't just leave that to my youth group. <laughs> exactly. Right. I think there's this way that, you know, um, in every other area of our parenting, when we want our children to be good at something or we want them to grow, we tend to delegate to quote unquote experts, right? We hire tutors or we get them the best, you know, violin teacher, whatever it is that we want them to be, be good at. Um, but with faith development, really um parents uh there's you can't replace the role of parents so yes youth pastors are important yes good churches are important you cannot raise children in the way of jesus alone you need your church but nothing compares to the spiritual influence of parents nothing yeah so i'm interested in uh in in, in looking into this a little bit more yeah aside from 
your book, what are whenever you started discovering those issues, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the ways that your church started to try to address that problem and equip parents to do um, do family discipleship? Because myself, I, yeah. I'm a pastor, and so that's a question that's intensely interesting to me as well. Yeah, well, so it, it started with what we called the parents' table. So we had table events that were. Uh, sort of designed for affinity groups. We would have, you know, a creative table or an entrepreneurial table. It's sort of an event to gather people together to talk about the way of Jesus in this particular, you know, affinity group. And so we gathered parents um, for a Saturday afternoon and provided childcare and started talking about discipleship and really this idea that parents have a lot of influence more than they think and um, started giving them some really simple practical tools um, to think about what does it look like to talk about and practice your faith in the home so it really was it began with kind of a one-off training event um, Mm -hmm. and then I sort of turned that into what we then called the parents cohort which was sort of a six-week um small group really for parents that we've run uh, several times now at the church. And that's something that I've actually begun to offer for other churches. I have an online class, Um, but yeah, it really was getting parents together. Um, So I think some of, some of it is, yeah, you can't, it's hard to do it alone. And so having gathering a group of people who are in it with you and then just providing some really simple practical ideas to get started. Yeah, what were the results of doing those things? You know, were you able yeah. to, to track any kind of, uh, you know, growth from before offering these classes around tables to after? Well, I mean, just anecdotally, I think the parents yeah. at our church are highly engaged. Um, and I hear stories from them all the time of things that they've tried or stories, you know, ways that their kids are encountering God around the dinner table. Um, so, but mostly I think I've seen the, the fruit in the way that our church talks about and thinks about family ministry as not just an add on to, to, it's not just a programming add on. It's not just something, it definitely is not just sort of Sunday morning childcare, mm-hmm. which I think is the worst it can become. Um, but really our church has begun to see um, this is like integral to our whole discipleship culture. Um, and so, yeah, it's not just a, a way to entertain kids or give parents a break on Sunday, but really this is like yeah. part of how we see following Jesus in this current moment involves families that are actively following the way of Jesus at home. So, yeah. Yeah. So whenever you started training parents, did that change the, or I'm assuming that's what you're saying. It, it changed yeah. the way that you did children's ministry and youth. Yeah. And uh, in, in various church programs. Yeah. So we, um, you know, it, we do excellent Sunday morning programming. You, that always, you know, that's going to be something we always try to do. But mm-hmm. I think the big shift is that even our vision for children's ministry at our church, um, our stated vision is twofold. One that um, every child would encounter God on a Sunday morning. And that everything we do as a church would empower parents to take the lead at home. And so that second piece is really what became, you know, an add on um, to, to kind of how we thought about family ministry before, which is we're really focusing on the Sunday morning experience or the, the programs that the church is offering. And again, that's that's wonderful. But what out of all of this research and training, we began to say, actually, our vision needs to be twofold. It's not just about what we can do. It's also about empowering, um, parents at home. And that's, yeah. that's like central to what we, we do. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, that's awesome. You know, one of the reasons I started this podcast was to get free coaching. And so, <laughs> awesome. and so I'm glad I that, that I was able to uh, yeah. pass those questions. Yeah. But in the, so going back to the book, uh, that you have this really essential idea to the book and one that I think is powerful, uh, talking about God moments in parenting mm. and mm-hmm. learning how to recognize those, leverage them, uh, and you know, participate with God whenever he's working in those moments. So explain to us, what is it, what do you mean by God moments in parenting and how do we lean into those? Yeah, no, that's, I'd love to talk about that. So I think a lot of times when we start to talk about discipleship and we talk about that with parents, the first thing that pops up in parents' mind is like, Oh, I don't have time. How am I going to ever find time to add this into my already busy, crazy life, right? When I'm not sleeping or when I'm shuttling my kids around, you know, hours and hours every week, where am I going to find the time for this? And so I talk about discipleship in two different ways. Um, one is proactive discipleship where we do, we, we are intentional and um, we think about what spiritual practices we can weave into the routines of our day. And I, I'm happy to talk about that uh, later on. But before I talk about proactive discipleship, I like to remind parents that there are discipleship moments that will happen for you that you can't actually plan for because God is the one who's planning for them. God is initiating with your kids. So basically, um, there are these experiences. We might, um, you might have heard the term like Kairos moment or you know, some, some way that God is kind of breaking into our everyday reality. And with parents and kids, I call that a God moment when God is trying to get our attention. And um, in scripture, kind of the best and strongest example is uh, Moses with the burning bush. He's just kind of living his ordinary life, hiding out, you know, tending sheep. And then suddenly God gets his attention with this burning bush. And he has a choice in that moment. Do I just pass on by and say that was weird? Or do I turn aside? And as he turns aside to to see this great sight, you know, he has this um, profound encounter with God. So God moments with our kids are not like burning bushes usually, but they are questions, they're emotions, they're um, experiences that we have with our kids passing, you know, a homeless person on the side of the road or um, hearing things in the news or, you know, being hurt by a friend or, yeah, those you mentioned your daughter has big emotions. I'm sure some of those could be God moments, right? And so the question is, when we notice that God is um, at work in our child's life and initiating with them, how do we as parents kind of do what Moses did and turn aside and help our children to encounter God in that moment? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to see all those moments as God moments. I, I suppose right. that, <laughs> maybe sometimes they're easier to see than others, but you know, a lot of the yeah. time it definitely doesn't feel like a God moment. It feels like, uh, I'm about to lose my mind moment. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. One of the, one of the um, examples that I share in the book is of a dinner time with um, our kids when they were little. So my youngest was four and, um, it was a really difficult dinner time. This young (laughs) child of mine, um, was just, yeah, having a really tough time and had had uh, received four timeouts in a row during dinner. So like leave the table <laughs> and come back and apologize. And, and so, yeah, it was a really tough dinner and um, I'm losing my mind. Right. And then he just looks so sad. And I asked what's, what's up buddy. And he said, my heart feels yucky. And that is an example of a God moment. I 
in that moment, you know, the, the choice there is to say like, yeah, buddy, you know, your heart, your heart is yucky and let's just like continue on with dinner. But there's this invitation from God, I think, to recognize when your child is having this, um, moment in this case, really of conviction. Um, can we turn aside and pay attention to what God's doing there? Mm. In your experience, what do you find are some of the main reasons that people, uh, miss, just out of ignorance, God moments, or mm-hmm. intentionally miss them? Yeah, well, I think, um, well, you already mentioned one. You know, I think our own emotions sometimes can, can uh, yeah, in the middle of like this example, my my flesh in that moment would want to be like, yeah, buddy, you're, you're a mess. You know, this is, <laughs> this is rough. Yeah. Um, and so there are times when it's hard to, take a deep breath and say, you know what, let's, um, let's talk to God about your yucky heart, which is what we did. Yeah. So that's one. Um, I think, I think sometimes it's a lack of awareness of how present and active God is in the lives of our kids. So I think a lot of times we feel like, um, the faith development of our children or the discipleship of our children really rests on our shoulders and our activity. And I think that's a, that's a fallacy that, you know, people who are doers and achievers often think, right, that my kid is going to learn about God when I teach them about God. Um, Mm -hmm. And part of it is learning to recognize that God has been initiating with your child long before you began to initiate spiritually with your child. Um, And so, you know, even just a shift in belief that God is pursuing our kids, um, even independent from us. And what does that look like to to be the supporting role in that and to facilitate that relationship rather than kind of lead it. Um, and there's obviously, again, with the proactive discipleship, there's an important way that we do lead that. But um, I think we can miss God moments when we're not, we don't have a category for them. We're not looking for that. Yeah. Yeah. Explain that, what you had just mentioned, the difference between proactive discipleship and what Whatever. Yeah, responsive. I can't remember the uh, responsive yeah, discipleship. Responsive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, proactive. So proactive is when I'm saying, okay. And you know, one, one thing that I do with parents is help them again with back to that time thing. How am I ever going to find time for this? What I think is actually the best way to disciple our kids is to look at the routines we already have and think about how can I repurpose this routine for a little bit of family discipleship. So for example, bedtime, dinner time car rides. Um, and that really is very Deuteronomy six. That's kind of where I get that from is, you know, when, when, um, Israel's heading into the promised land, there's this threat that they might forget God. The strategy there is talk about these commands with your children as you walk along the road and as you lie down and as you get up kind of in the midst of everyday life. So Mm. proactive discipleship is when I make a conscious choice to say, okay, at dinner time, we're going to take five minutes every night to do X, Y, or Z spiritual practice. And that is me being intentional, making a choice, leading that, um, setting the stage for discipleship. Um, And that is, yeah, that's proactive. But responsive discipleship is being ready to respond when God is clearly doing something in your child. Um, And it's a moment you haven't planned for, but you're you're uh, looking for these God moments. Yeah. I think parenting is 
such an emotional roller coaster. Uh-huh. And that's <laughs> yeah. like the one thing that people don't really prepare you for is right. where they talk about like the hardships of parenting. They talk about, you know, the meltdowns and the temper tantrums and all. But then they don't tell you that then there's an upswing that like your, your kid will do something that drives you nearly insane. Mm-hmm. And in a split second, they'll be the cutest thing you've ever seen. Of and you want to give them ice cream. And then it's even more frustrating because you were just upset and now you want to give them something and you don't know what to feel. But so there's like highs and lows in parenting. And so what have been some of your own highs and lows in parenting and how did they shape your thought about parenting and particularly shape this book? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think my first real low in parenting was, I mean, our first child uh, just wouldn't sleep. You know, uh, we struggled so much with, um, sleep in the early, <laughs> early months. And, um, I'm the kind of person who really thinks like, Oh, if you read a sleep book and you do what the book says, the baby should sleep. And so, um, that was really hard. And my husband had to constantly remind me, um, your child is not a robot. <laughs> your child is a human being. <laughs> you can't program them to sleep. And honestly, that lesson, which sounds so remedial, but was important for me as a new mom, um, really that has translated through to how I think about discipleship. Our children are not robots. You know, we can't program them to follow Jesus. Um, and we can do our part. But uh I think part of parenting is really recognizing you don't have control. You're a hundred percent, you know, out of control. You have mm. some influence and it's important to learn how to wield that. But, um, yeah, there are no guarantees in the parenting journey that, um, there's, it's not a formula where we do the right thing and we get this outcome that we desire. And so I think with discipleship, while parents do, even you can see this in the statistics have an incredibly influential and powerful role I think parents who want it to be, I do the right thing and my child will follow Jesus. That is a, that's an invitation to surrender that to, to the Lord. You're not God. Um, and so, yeah, learning how to, how to lead when you don't have control. Yeah. I think it's an important, <laughs> important lesson. Yeah, no, that's huge. That, that's huge because you want to tell yourself that you can control them. And that right. you can just just the right talk, and if I say it the right. cert this the right, right. way, then it's going to fix this issue. And right. unfortunately, not it. it no. uh, <laughs> that it reminds me of, of Paul Tripp's book on parenting, and that's one of the the things that he drives home is that we're not in control, and that yep. um, and that you know God's the one in control, and that it, we have to rely on His grace, and that yep. parenting is not just a one time fix whenever right. we're addressing an issue, but that it's, it's this ongoing process that we deal with in the big moments and the small trusting right. that God is going to do his work through our, through our parenting. Right. Through our efforts, which is how God has used people, you know, throughout the story of God, through the history of humanity, God has used people's yes and their participation, but it's always God, you know, doing the work with our, with our yes, um, not us, doing (laughs) producing that fruit so yeah yeah in the book um i referenced stephen covey's you know circle of uh concern which is large and then our circle of influence which is much smaller and how to learn to be people who can live from that circle of influence and as i was discussing that with a friend um i was talking about and where's control in that you know we have 
concerns and then we have influence where's control and he said oh it's a spec and so you know there's the large sphere of uh, concern the smaller sphere of influence and there's a little speck of control um, and so learning yeah to surrender to God in that yeah yeah and, and you know just like I mean the reason that it's in Covey's book is because that's such a powerful lesson to learn <laughs> for right. our lives beyond even parenting I mean just right. how much how much stress and like uh, burden you can relieve from yourself whenever you start to live that way out of the the control and influence circles rather than concern because yeah. uh, there's so many people who are living to you know use Covey's book ineffective lives right. or lives that are just overburdened um, because right. they're trying to control things that are in the area of concern and then on top of that they usually have too many things in the area of concern you know right. well and as parents it feels like that circle can be infinite if we allow it you know you can drive yourself crazy with that so yeah yeah um what are some of the attitudes that you've seen in parents that lead to the greatest success in family discipleship? Mm. You know, what, what, what's the, uh, like what, what attributes lead to the best family discipleship? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing would be, um, it just intentionality. So it, I think that matters so much more than skill or, you know, I think a lot of parents worry they don't know enough. They don't, know the Bible well enough. Um, and really what matters more than your perfection or your knowledge or whatever is your willingness and your intentionality. Um, so I think parents who value that, um, value the discipleship effort, you know, um, I think that is a big one. I recently read a, a study of Christian parents in the United States, and it, I put this in the book as well, but um, that they interviewed parents and asked them what was, you know, to rank a number of things, what's most important to you about your kids. And the number one thing was to work hard. And I forget the exact percentages, but up in the 80 something percent, parents mm -hmm. felt like they wanted their kids to work hard, go to college was up there, um, but follow Jesus, 56% um, of parents felt that that was very important. So that to me just, um, you know, demonstrates, yeah, I think parents who value that and give a little bit of intentionality, um, that's really important. And then beyond that, I think it's parents who have a growth mindset. So who have um, what I say, what I call sort of high grace, high challenge. So if you made like a, a two by two, uh, you know, grid, and mm -hmm. on one side, you've got grace and one side, you've got challenge. I think you have parents who fall into a couple different categories where I think parents who are uh, high grace tend to be, you know, a little bit like, my kid will be fine. It's all, you know, I'm all set. They'll be fine. And that yeah. that's true, right? There's a, there's a way that, yeah, like we want to be trusting. And on the other side, we've got parents who feel like content towards shame, right? Like it's all up to me if I do something wrong. Um, I'm going to screw my kid up or I can do the right thing and make them follow Jesus. And so I think the parents who can live in the midst of those two things, who know, you know, there's a lot of grace for me and my kids. And yet there's this invitation to, to participate in what God's inviting me to mm. without, without putting it all on my shoulders. So kind of that delicate balance in the middle there. That's good. I really like that high grace and high challenge. High grace, that high is challenge. Super good. Cause that's, 
that's a place of freedom for me because I think it means, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm being intentional. I'm saying yes, but I know that I'm a human being. I'm going to make mistakes and, uh, God's got them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great place to live. Yeah. So you have several chapters in the book that are devoted to like stages of Mm -hmm. development and learning. What are the stages all about? Why is it important to be aware of them and understand them? Uh, And then after that, we could talk about what they are. Yeah. So this is a a model by John Westerhoff that I uh, use and I really like. So it it talks about uh, faith development, really like the... um, like rings on a tree. So you don't sort of pass linearly, you know, from one stage to the next and kind of leave the previous stage behind, but your faith kind of grows, you know, to transcend and include the previous stage. And so, um, understanding where your kids fall in this faith development, um, really helps you to choose spiritual practices that are appropriate for them. So, how you disciple a 12 year old is going to be very different from how you disciple a three year old. And we know that sort of intuitively, but when you're able to know, well, three year olds, actually the way they experience God and the way they express their faith is like this. It really helps you to think about um, practices that are, that are helpful and appropriate for that um, level of development. Yeah. Interesting. And so you uh, explained three major stages the experiential, affiliative, and then the searching and owned. Yeah. Can you go through each one of those stages yeah. and yep. explain to us so, what they mean? Yeah. So the first stage is for, for little, little kids. And this is, you know, all the ages are rough, but, you know, from birth to about five or six, right around when they go to school, the experiential stage. So the, the child's uh, primary expression of faith, their primary mode of spiritual engagement is experience. And so it's, um, you know, I, you love Jesus. I can love Jesus. You pray and sing and worship. I can pray and sing and worship. It's very, it's embodied practice. It's, uh, parents modeling and children mimicking. And a lot of times we might look at that and say, well, that's not real faith because they're just mimicking. They don't even know what they're saying. And what Westerhoff would say, and what I believe is no, actually this is the way that a small child expresses their faith is Hmm. through these embodied spiritual practices. This isn't pre-faith. This isn't fake faith. This is faith to a three-year-old. And so it's really trusting that the Lord is using the parents or the the church community, the grandparents, whoever the believing adult is, as a handhold um, to them. The same way that when we teach our kids to walk, we like, you know, hold our little fingers out and they're holding on to our hands, I see that as, you know, these children are reaching out to their parents' practices um, as a way that God's using that parent as a handhold. Um, And so practices that, I mean, we all know this, but stories, um, songs, repeated, you know, rituals and practices, this is all very important to little kids to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Mm. And then moving into elementary school, so, you know, age seven-ish to um, 11-ish, it's the affiliative stage. The primary mode of spiritual engagement is belonging to a community of faith. And so this is really the the way that the child is thinking at this stage is, I believe because we believe. So I am part of a tribe. So whether that's, you know, usually starts with a nuclear family, but that's also where they're connecting with their peers. And this is really important for them to identify as, you know, yeah, part of a peer group that is a believing 
they have believing friends. They're part of the church. Um, And so the really interesting thing here, a couple, couple interesting thoughts. So a lot of times we start kind of youth group experiences in middle school. And I really think we should be starting sort of those experiences sooner. So our church, we have a elementary girls Bible study that meets in an evening. And that's been really important. Parents are involved in that. And then we have a, a boy squad of boys that um, used to come to my house and do, um, you know, some spiritual practices together. And we've got a, we've got an older, you know, preteen boy squad, which is basically our youth group for boys. We don't actually have a lot of middle school girls in our church, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, the other thing that, that Westerhoff talks about is that many churches this is all they think about uh, with discipling children is sort of through the affiliative stage because the next stage in the adolescent and teenage years is the searching stage where the primary mode of spiritual engagement is questioning. And that is very threatening to parents and sometimes to churches. It can feel like it's a threat to faith to kind of allow these, you know, or really foster these kind of questions. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that that's, that questioning stage really is a prerequisite for moving into the final stage, which is that adult-owned faith. And so if they don't actually pass through that stage, they don't reach adult-owned faith. And so if their discipleship has been sort of truncated at the affiliative stage, I believe because we believe, and then they leave home and they go off to college, it makes sense that that's where we see that 50% drop off. Yeah, because, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, because how do I follow Jesus as an independent person if my primary faith community, my family, and my church are no longer here? Yeah. And so the, the implications there for how we work with teenagers who come at us with all kinds of questions we would prefer that they don't ask, actually, we need to start seeing like, if they don't ask, that's more of a threat to their lifelong faith than if they do. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about how, and, and I think you said this, or, or you, you mentioned that Westerhoff said it, but that so much of what youth groups are and, and, and at my church, we have a very, very brand new, like very small kind of definitely still in the formative years of, of, of a youth group. But uh, what most youth groups are is I think just trying to get kids together. Right. And so it's very much something that is, that remains in that affiliative stage, but we're doing it at that older age group. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and not answering any of their questions. So then just sending them off, getting, being isolated from their group. And then now, uh, asking their questions in groups of people who are not afraid to answer them and give them right. who knows what kind of answers. Right. Exactly. And so they never, you know, again, with the transcendent include that affiliative and experiential faith remains important through adulthood. And so that youth group experience like the fact that it is affiliative, that's important, but it should be affiliative and include that searching element where we invite them to wrestle and we say, actually, that's a fantastic question. And yeah. I'm not afraid of that question because I should be more afraid of shutting down that question. Um, because like you said, when they when they leave, yeah, there's lots of, lots of answers out there um, yeah. that people will be more than willing to provide, so. Yeah. Do you think that there's like a parallel between these stages of development in faith and children, but also in adult converts? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, um, 
That's a great question. I, I, um, I imagine. So when people are coming to faith as a, as an adult, they're going to probably be experiencing again, as an adult, you've got all of those stages included. And so, yeah, they're going to be having, um, spiritual experiences. They're going to be interacting with the church community. They're going to be wrestling through important questions. And so one of the things that I think as I teach parents about these stages is to help them access their different, uh, the different modes of their own spiritual walk. So when's the last time you have experienced, you know, the presence of God and who are your, what's your experience of community and Christian, um, the church, you know, um, and then, yeah, what are the questions that are spiking for you in adulthood? Because they're going to be different than the ones that you wrestled with when you were 14, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was just, whenever you were describing it, I was thinking, like, you know, that kind of sounds like what I've seen in people who are adult converts. They initially, it's it, it's very high on experience. Yeah. And then they become a part of a community and their faith is very much wrapped up in those relationships, which is yep. not not necessarily bad. Um, no, and, but then, and then, uh, th- but then they eventually start, you know, kind of maturing into, um, in- in- into a faith, which is also their own, you know, by yeah, asking, exactly. and it may not be the same question, like you said, the same question as teenagers, but you know, it may be the, the questions about what do I believe about the church and what do I believe right. about, you know, different theological questions and, right. and so Absolutely. on. So yeah, that's what I, why I was wondering about that. But uh, so so going back to parenting, though, can you just give us some examples of what these stages mean uh, in terms of family discipleship in the home? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, again, back to that, this this would be in the response or sorry, the uh, proactive discipleship category. So with, you know, affiliative or sorry, uh, experiential <laughs> age kids, so little kids, my suggestion is, you know, look through um your kind of daily and weekly routines and figure out what's the what's the best kind of um, uh, Deuteronomy 6 type uh, time in my day or my week. Um, so, you know, I think for young, young kids, usually bedtime gets established first. Um, and sometimes bedtime is a great time to think about um, doing some family discipleship. Dinner time often establishes itself next um for us and so i have you know uh affiliative and searching aged kids dinner time is our 100 percent our best discipleship time um and so that's really that's been our main time um and so for little kids like practices for example of um you know, one one thing we did with our tiny kids was it's a version of if you're familiar with the examen, um, mm-hmm. Ignatian examen of consciousness. So um, where you ask, you know, when did I feel close to God and when did I feel far from God at the end of each day? So that's like too difficult for a three year old to answer. But what mm-hmm. they can answer is when did you feel happy today? When did you feel sad today? And who was with you when you were happy and when you were sad? And it reinforces the idea that God is always present, whether we feel happy or we feel sad. Um, mm. There is no space in our day where God was not present. And so we did this daily with our kids. When did you feel happy? When did you feel sad? Another version is grateful and grumbles. You might've heard that one. Mm. Um, and then who was with you? And they always answered Jesus. So that was kind of like burned into them, you know, burned into their little minds. Um, yeah. and I, a couple of funny stories. Uh, my youngest was giving me a really hard time one day and I 
you know, used his full name. <laughs> I was Gregory Johnson. <laughs> what is with you? And he goes, he just smiles and goes, Jesus. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> okay, buddy. Um, but another time, um, my oldest son, when he was first going to the dentist, so he must have been about three, um, and he was really scared about going to the dentist. And we kept reassuring him, they're not going to hurt you. They're just going to maybe count your teeth and maybe they'll brush your teeth, but they're not going to hurt you. And I'm going to be right there in the room with you. We kept this conversation went on for days. And, you know, at one point I'm getting a little frustrated and I said, but Noah, like, who's going to be with you in the room? And he goes, oh, Jesus. And he was just like so relieved. <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, I actually, am, I'm glad that when he remembered Jesus would be with him, it was actually more reassuring than mom being with him. Um, mm -hmm. But that idea that like from a very early age through this repeated ritual of saying, when were you happy? When were you sad? And who was with you? Um, that, yeah, he learned that Jesus would always be with him, even yeah. at the scary dentist. Yeah. So that's an example of um, sort of a experiential stage practice um, in the, uh, yeah, affiliative stage. Um, I think, uh, you know, lots of different ideas, but I think you could teach them. Um, one thing we've done is the idea of prayer journaling, which helps to foster a two-way conversation with God. So I think a lot of times we think about prayer journaling where we just write down our prayers, which is great. But what I feel really passionate about is teaching kids, uh, again, from a very early age, so even younger, but, um, that God actually can communicate with them. And I think a lot of times as parents, we would prefer to mediate the relationship between God and our kids and, you know, pray for them, which is wonderful. We definitely want to pray for our kids, but teaching our kids to, you know, talk directly to God and then also inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to our kids. And so with prayer journaling, um, we encourage, you know, our kids to right on one side, you know, their thoughts, anything they want to share with God, any questions they have, their emotions. Then we also encourage them to spend time listening and write down anything that they sense the Holy Spirit might be saying to them. Maybe it's a scripture, maybe it's a picture, uh, maybe it's maybe it's a thought that, you know, they have and they write it down and we test it against scripture with them. But um, I think in that affiliative stage, they can, um, you know, using a prayer journal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's something that can be done at bedtime, for example. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. And, 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 uh, yeah, lots to get out of there. I know at the end of the book, you give, you know, more family practices for mm -hmm. discipleship and, uh, in, in the home. And so in addition to those, is there, is there anything else that you've seen as uh, or, or gotten a lot of feedback on from people who yeah. say, you know, this practice is one that really made a difference in our home and family life? Yeah. So this is a, it's a big one and it's a, it's a high bar, but I will put it out there. Uh, keeping a family Sabbath, I think is transformative for the spiritual culture in a family. And I think it's really counter cultural. Um, I think it's really, it makes us really different from the world around us. But I really think a Sabbath where we take a 24 hour period where we do not work, um, we do our best, even I would say to limit house 
work as much as we can. We do the laundry the day before so that on the Sabbath, I think a lot of times people sort of imagine Sabbath as kind of like a, a, I don't know, a boring day where we might just sit around and pray or something, which, okay, if that, if that floats your boat. But I think of Sabbath as a time for family connectedness, um, for, so the, the values that, that, um, I've learned from a friend that we've adopted into our family ritual are rest, rejoice, reset, and worship. And so we think about how do we want to do each of those things in the next 24 hours? So how are we going to rest? Um, and that usually involves, we're not going to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Um, how do we want to rejoice? That's like, how do we want to play together? Um, and what a gift to give our kids our full attention and actually, you know, play together as a family. Reset, you know, what are some of the spiritual practices we want to do at the end of a week and the beginning of a new week to like look back on the week and reflect, um, look ahead and and think about what's coming. Um, and then worship, uh, you know, making it a practice to meet with other believers and to worship together. So anyway, yeah. I think that that, that discipline, it takes a lot of work. It's hard. Again, it's very counter to what everything in our culture tells us, but I think it, it makes a huge, huge impact. Yeah. When well, there's the importance of that attribute you talked about earlier in parents being intentionality yeah. to accomplish these things. And yeah, Sabbath is something that, I, that definitely takes intentionality. Uh, yep. Especially if you're someone who doesn't work a traditional nine to five where, you know, your, yes. your, your boss or whoever else like set your hours for you, um, yep. you know, or even if you do, and, but you still get off the clock emails and whatever else, right. it's going right. to take some planning ahead and preparation to yep. honor, honor that Sabbath time. Yeah. And I think um, in the short term. It, there might be pain. I think in the long term, looking back, um, I don't, I don't think you'll regret those oh, yeah. sort of short term losses when you look at the impact that that had. This that was a practice that my family did when I was a kid. My dad was a pastor, um, and uh, yeah, I think pastors' kids uh, sometimes feel like, yeah, you know, dad or mom's not available, and to have a twenty four hour time where family was. 100% um, available and present was huge for me as a kid. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time here. So before we go, is there anything that you want to leave with our audience or readers of your book? What do you hope that they take away? Yeah, I think um, the first thing is just to know that your influence matters spiritually, um, that uh yeah, part of being a Christian parent is to say yes to a calling to um, participate with God in the work he wants to do in your kid. And that can sound really overwhelming. And so I think the message that I love to give parents is um, you and the Holy Spirit make an incredible team. Like this is not all on your shoulders. <laughs> um, you are the, the baby ox that's yoked to the more experienced ox, to use that example, you know. And so, um, yeah, I think with a little bit of intentionality and trusting the Holy Spirit's power, I think you can have an incredible impact on um, the family, family culture, um, the spiritual culture of your family, but also potentially on your child's lifelong relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. What a, uh, what a weighty 
but honorable calling that we carry as yeah. parents. And right. so, yeah, I, and I hope that this book is a great resource to anyone who desires to answer that call. I know, I believe it is. And so, uh, so I want to encourage you guys who have listened to this conversation. If you're interested in picking up Sarah's book, just go to the link in the show notes and I'll have it there so you can get a copy of it uh, for you, for your friends and uh, whoever else you want to share it with to work on family discipleship. Uh, Sarah, before we go, how can people get in touch with you or follow the work that you're doing? Yeah, uh, so my website is just my name, Sarah, with an H, Callan Johnson, at, uh, uh, sorry, dot com, <laughs> SarahCallanJohnson.com. Um, and so I have free resources there. Um, you know, I have some resources uh, for different seasons of the year, like Advent and Lent. Um and I do uh, parent coaching and seminars for parents and things like that. So all of that's on my website. And then I'm on social media, um, on uh, Instagram mostly. So you can find me there. Awesome. Well, I'll have your website and Instagram linked so that if you guys want to uh, follow Sarah, check out the other resources that she has, then definitely encourage you to go do that. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for your time on the podcast today. Enjoyed it. Got a lot out of this conversation, and I'm sure our audience will too. So appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast.